0: Terrific investigative report in the National Post reveals 35,000 Canadians have been killed since 2016 by overdose. And while the safe supply crowd insists safe consumption is the only solution and are now pushing for harder drugs to be decriminalized, the safety of supply is now coming into question with this investigative piece that reveals basically that supply meant for addicts isn't getting to the addicts. Instead, it's being sold on the black market at rock bottom prices which then funds the purchase of fentanyl and is fueling a lot more addiction. Adam Zevo, columnist with the National Post. And Adam, great job. This is a 45-minute read. That's how in-depth it was. It also took you months to do this. It was. Is this one of the tougher investigations you've done?
1: It, it absolutely was. I mean, this was the most substantive investigative report I've ever done in my life. And I just want to say that, you know, I did this while in Ukraine, Mm. conducting most of my interviews in January when there was no electricity. (laughs) But with a story like this, you have to pursue it.
0: Yeah. What was the biggest challenge other than being in Ukraine in a Uh war zone? So let's just remove that uh, little barrier.
1: Well, I, I think the biggest challenge for me was trying to get people to speak on the record. And what I can't stress enough is that addiction physicians are afraid to speak out. So based on my interviews, it seems as if skepticism or hostility towards Safer Supply is the norm in the addiction medicine world. Unfortunately, those who criticize it publicly often are subject to character assassination or harassment, uh, particularly on Twitter by Safer Supply advocates. Mm -hmm. So many of my interviewees were scared, and I had to repeatedly reassure them that they would be off the record. Uh, One initially was on the record, and then when she saw how Safer Supply advocates began uh, harassing me on Twitter, she ended up going off the record as well. Uh, One of my interviewees told me, for example, that her job security was threatened when she tried to uh, crunch data in her institute to see whether or not Safer Supply has negative outcomes. So it's that culture of fear, which was a really significant barrier.
0: Then that's not healthcare. I, I, that's ideolog uh, ideologue uh, ruling um, health mandates. I mean, you talk to twenty uh, doctors, at least healthcare experts, and fourteen of them were addiction experts. And I have had uh, an expert on my show who also does not believe that safe supply is the way to go. and And he's one of very, very few who will speak publicly about that because the backlash is that fierce. And so you have to wonder: is this health policy, or is this like a you know a, an industry that they don't want to give up? Well,
1: I think it's very clearly this is ideologically driven. So most addiction policy making in Canada is driven by a small clique of researchers based in BC. And, and the core of that is something known as the BCCSU, the British Columbia Center on Substance Use. And they tend to output a lot of low-quality research to give the impression that Safer Supply is working when it's not. Uh, so much of this research is small-scale qualitative studies. Uh what that means is essentially glorified focus groups, interviews with drug users in Vancouver, mm-hmm. people who have a vested interest in maintaining safer supply because they can sell the drugs on the street. Uh when Dr. Julian Summers from uh <clears throat> from uh I forget Simon Fraser University, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. when he when he published a rapid review showing that most uh research in support of safer supply wasn't valid and didn't actually provide any evidence in support of the program he was subject to a harassment campaign as well and they smeared his reputation so there, there really isn't any actual discussion as to whether safer supply is useful or not it's a lot of ideological posturing and bullying
0: yeah. And ultimately, look, it may very well save someone for that day, but there's no guarantee that the next time it will save their lives. And so that's why I think a lot of people after this many years are saying well, we, we need another route. There's got to be another alternative, like treatment, uh, rehabilitation, <clears throat> and having that instead of constantly going the safe supply route. But I mean, you know, in Toronto, we're we're trying to go down the same road as BC with the decriminalization of hard drugs. I don't know uh, again, where these health decisions are coming from and who's driving them, but I, I don't see how they can go forward with it when you lay out in your piece, Adam, that the policymakers know that that this is not working.
1: Well, well, that's the thing, is that what would shock me was that Health Canada is aware that Safer Supply is not working. So the fundamental problem with Safer Supply is that it distributes a drug known as hydromorphone, and that opioid is as potent as heroin. However, even so... It's, it's only a shadow as strong as fentanyl. And so for fentanyl users, they find that hydromorphone just doesn't get them high. So they don't want to use it, which is why they sell it on the black market right. at at rock bottom prices to fund the purchase of additional illicit fentanyl. Um, and then I heard this again and again from addiction physicians, and I thought that perhaps Health Canada was just ignorant. And then in my research, I came across a report published in March, 2022, Uh, where Health Canada explicitly said that even maximal doses of hydromorphone fail to get fentanyl users high, hence they sell their drugs and continue using fentanyl. And I thought it was appalling that Health Minister Carolyn Bennett is omitting that, that finding in her public messaging about safer supply.
0: Well, you know, because that would be uh, an admission that, okay, we've tried it this way, we've got to go a different way. But to your point, there are those that are so entrenched in this being the only way possible that uh, you can't have the conversation. Uh, I don't know what kind of feedback we'll get today, but I think, you know, I've heard from enough people who are all saying, look, uh, this was in my neighborhood, this kind of turned my life upside down because... We've got these things in, you know, they bring crime into the area. You've got addicts all over the place. It's dangerous. And so there are many candidates, as you know, Adam, who are running full steam ahead on continuing this program. And uh, I think there's one candidate in Anthony Fury who says he would, you know, phase it out. But even that, you know, will get attacked and criticized. But if we don't kind of, um, I think, start having the conversation about going in a new direction, I don't know what Toronto will look like in the next three or four years, especially given, and you lay it out very clearly in this piece, this black market, um, you know, surge of drugs with the safe supply, it's creating a whole new generation of addicts that are, are are much younger.
1: Well, if we continue with safer supply, what we can expect to see is more crime, more homelessness, more fentanyl usage, and more opioid addiction, particularly amongst our youth. Yeah. So if we care about safety, if we care about keeping keeping, keeping people housed, and if we care about our children... We need to put a pause on safe supply and do a proper investigation into how to uh, how to address the opioid crisis.
0: And who's going to do that? I mean, you yourself saw how difficult it is to get answers, to get people to go on record and good for them for speaking to you. But you see how hard it is to report this story. Uh, it seems and, and you've heard Pierre Polyevra. He is running and one of his ideas is uh, care and treatment. And he has been eviscerated for that plan because it's not a conversation people want to have.
1: Well the problem is that most people aren't aware of what the, of how how low quality the evidence in support of safer supply is mm-hmm. and and that seems to be you know <clears throat> uh an intentional outcome from safer supply advocates they they just generate study after study after study saying that safer supply works but when you look at it there's no actual evidence it's just interviews with drug users in Vancouver um and so then People who aren't familiar with the subject will then say, well, look, there's a, a very large evidence base supporting Safer Supply. Obviously, it saves lives, but they don't realize that this evidence base is just a mirage. So so people are very invested because mm-hmm. they genuinely think it works, because in a sense, yeah. they've been manipulated. to
0: Yeah. Well, it's a conversation we must have. And is there a part two?
1: Um, there was, there was, I mean, the initial draft that I had written was 20,000 words and there was a lot of stuff that we had to cut just to meet a maximum of 10,000 words. Um, there will be more content coming out, rest assured what that looks like precisely is still to be determined, but keep an eye out on my columns, the national post.
0: It is a hell of a, it is a hell of a read. It is very sobering uh, and very much appreciated. Adam, thanks so much and stay safe. eh? Thank you. That is uh, Adam Zemo, uh, Zeebo, who is with the National Post. It's a long read. It's forty-five minutes, but he's got the receipts, and it is—it is pretty shocking to see that this is happening, and um, and that we aren't allowed to have kind of the conversation, and we need to, clearly. So again, it's worth the read. It's worth the conversation.